Welcome back. This is the Liberty on Fire podcast. I'm your host, Libertarian Tony, and I'm going to be joined by Conservative Joey. So happy that you're here joining us. If this is your first time, then thank you for being here. If, on the other hand, you are a dedicated and regular listener, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate that you come and listen to each and every show. Hey, Joey, welcome back to the Liberty on Fire podcast. It's been a while. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It's, uh, I think it's almost 6.30 where you are. It's almost time for, for bed, right? No, not yet. Thanks for getting on early. If you got on this early, every time I'd be in like 50 podcasts by now. Probably, yeah. But this only yeah. works when I, uh, I'm off and uh, I can get on early with you. Otherwise, you know, I got to get home and then do the dinner thing with the kids and then put them to sleep. By that time, you're sleeping. But don't you have like four days a week off anyway? I should by now, shouldn't I? No, I thought I thought you're always working. You're always home. It seems like. It seems that way. I, I'm actually always working, but. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wish I was always home. No. So I guess um, I sent you a, a picture of some, I guess, polling data recently, and it looks like. Biden, Warren, and Bernie Sanders are all pretty much neck and neck in this one poll at about 20% each. What do you think of that? Um, I think that is probably something that maybe should concern the uh, Trumpsters a little more than before. Because before it was Biden was in the lead. And there's just no way on earth that Biden was going to beat Trump in a 2020 race. I mean, there's no way that's possible. And I didn't think anybody would really have a chance right now against Trump. And, and Bernie, I didn't think either. But maybe the only shot, but I still don't think this is really a shot, but I think, in my opinion, the best candidate that they could hope for would be someone like Elizabeth Warren because she's adapting Bernie's policies. You know what I mean? All those, those really, really radical liberal, um, free-everything type of socialist policies. She kind of stole it from Bernie. Bernie hasn't attacked her on it. And she's not a angry old man who might die while she's you know in office, like Bernie. And she's a woman, so she might get even some of those, like, oh, I can't wait until we have a female in office type of like people. Like, there were some for Clinton. So, I mean, she checks all those boxes, which maybe gives them their best chance. So if you thought that Trump was going to have an easy run, and he might still, uh, I do think that maybe Elizabeth Warren in the lead is, is the best candidate to beat him. So it might make you worry a little bit. I don't know if that's, that's just kind of me. I'm That's just what I'm thinking. Not like what I, you know, have listened to other people say whatever they're saying, but I don't know, like, what do you think about it? So for me, I, I still think, Bernie has an, enough of a ground game to give Trump maybe a run for his money, maybe. It all depends on how socialist the, the voting public goes in the next election, because Bern, Bernie's the full-on socialist. He's the one who went over to Russia and, and praised communism, you know, all those years ago. They have, they have those YouTube videos online, you know, showing that. But, um, and then Warren, to me, is kind of like socialist light. So she's kind of taking some of the socialist, I guess, 
policies or thoughts and maybe watering them down a little bit, almost kind of kind of inching her way back towards the uh, the middle, trying to be slightly more appealing to you know the the generalists or to, towards the center, I would say. And then I guess the main issue here is that Biden, like a month ago, was a clear front runner. And he's given up that lead now. And so he's given it up to, I don't know if he gave it up so much to Bernie, but he definitely gave up some points to uh, Warren. And the, a lot of the other candidates have kind of fallen out. I mean, Kamala Harris mm-hmm. has dropped significantly, and Beto O'Rourke is just mm-hmm. horrible. So it's understandably that his numbers suck. I'm kind of upset that you know, my favorite of the whole crew, Tulsi Gabbard, has just gotten no support. She's gotten pretty much no TV coverage whatsoever. Um, you know, Tucker Carlson put her on a couple of times, but that wasn't enough to, I guess, give her any major bump in the polls. I mean, she had a little bit of a bump last time uh, after that second debate when she went after uh, Kamala Harris. But since then, you know, you have these the rules written by the DNC who really just don't want her to be involved anymore. Yeah, well, it's a po- like a popularity contest. No one heard of her, so, you know, she wasn't going to do good. Was she, like, run Hawaii? But the other thing behind that is that I, I think the uh, this Democratic field or the party or the national platform for the, for the DNC is really more pro-war than they really want to let, I, I guess, the mm-hmm. public onto, right? If, they're, mm-hmm. if every single candidate they have is pro-war except for Tulsi Gabbard, I mean, the Democratic Party used to be the anti-war platform, right, years ago, right? Mm-hmm. There, that was the, the whole idea behind the protests behind this, the um, Vietnam War was that there was a, was a lot of uh, leftists or a lot of, you know, kind of mainstream Democrats at the time that were anti-war. I mean, that's pretty much disappeared from the party, it seems like. Yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, and maybe the easiest way it could disappear from the party is if Trump is very anti-war. Then the Democrats would be completely pro-war. That's right, because they'll do anything opposite of what Trump does. Yeah, and he has kind of been um, not not so much of a warmonger or anything. He's one of those dogs that, you know, their bark is worse than their bite kind of thing. And he, he likes to be kind of out in the media kind of boasting about like, oh, we're going to kick your ass or bomb you if such and such happens, but then he doesn't actually do it, which mm-hmm. I guess is good that he's not killing more people. Uh, so that'd be my preference is to not start any new wars and to hopefully kind of, you know, end the ones that have been going on for so long. I mean, the Afghanistan war has been going on for like 17 or 18 years now. Uh-huh. I kind of like that about him. and I think a lot of people do. How much of a awesome platform would that be is if in six months' time he's out there campaigning and he's like, yeah, you know all those wars that started under George Bush and Obama? I ended them. Yeah, that'd be really cool. If you poll the public, most of the public, including most of the military, are anti-war. I mean, they've seen the results of us being in Iraq and Afghanistan for over 15 years, and the results are horrible. So, you know, they, they felt like a lot of their brothers and sisters died for nothing. So if, yeah. tr- if Trump ended the wars, I mean, he would get a huge milita- pro-military vote. I mean, all, everybody 
either maybe former military or still in a military would I would get I think they would get behind a, a, a presidential candidate like that. Yeah, definitely. If you can't even like define what the what a victory in the war would look like, then you really I'm not sure why you're in it. Yeah, I know. And that's the weird thing. It's like the government never actually wants to give you that, you know, that goalpost, right? Because then they then this way they can keep moving the goalposts. So they don't they're yeah. not going to give you that picture of what victory looks like. They just want to be there forever, right? And it's like, "Oh, we have to be there to root out terrorism." Well, I mean, of course they don't talk about that they're creating more terrorists by being there, but yeah, I mean, nobody yeah. has conquered Afghanistan in like a thousand years, right? So what makes you think that yeah. that we're going to make it happen now? Exactly. But I want to bring you back now to Bernie, because I think you said Bernie has still has a shot. Is that what you were saying? I think so. I still think... Well, so here's my mixed feelings on, on Bernie, is that he had a big ground game with when he went up, went up against uh, Hillary, and then you know Hillary you know, rigged it so that she won. I still think he has some of that ground game. But I, like you were saying, I think Warren may be stealing a bit of his thunder. And he, here's another like just weird thing about Bernie is if he lets this go again, right, where he lets another person come in and just take all of his support, mm-hmm. how bad does that look for anybody who really supported Bernie, right? You gave money to him the first time and Hillary stole it and he just let it happen. And now he's running again. He pretends to be sincere, but if he lets kind of Warren swoop in and like sweep up all of his votes and or I guess maybe his momentum, the, those people that keep giving money to Bernie, it's just like, you know, they don't learn their lesson, right? Yeah, that's kind of my point. That's why I think he's done. He's toast. I mean, she is coming in, sweep, sweeping in and stealing his his thunder. And you called her Bernie Light. I mean, to me, she sounds just like Bernie in those uh, those debates. But uh, he's already lost. He lost to Hillary Clinton. I mean, how is why are they going to ha- how much support he's going to get this time around? And he sounds like he's not as likable this this time around either. He's just constantly angry. And he was the only one of his kind last time because it was just four years ago where, where, you know, it was becoming more acceptable to, to, to kind of say you're a socialist four years before that, it wouldn't have been acceptable at all. Now here we are in uh, close to 2020 and it's like the mainstream of the Democrat platform. So he's not one of a kind anymore. So now he's just old man, Bernie, angry, really kind of like uh, unrelatable. And Elizabeth Warren's here to, to take the torch from him. I'm not even sure why he's even running because it looks like he's on board for that. He, he doesn't fight with her or argue against her. So I think he's definitely done. There's no way he, he wins or no way he loses to Hillary last time and then comes back stronger this time when there's there's more competition for his sort of socialist agenda now. So I, I think I think he's totally done. There's no way. He doesn't have a chance. Biden is way too low energy to have a chance. I don't think anybody has a chance unless the, the, the economy like completely tanked, you know, which maybe could lead us to what you wanted to talk about a little bit with the uh, the Fed or the trade war or whatever one you want to get into. But the only one, in my opinion, and we can differ in opinion on this, the only one is Elizabeth Warren. She takes that socialist Bernie crowd. She's, she's younger. Um, maybe she's more likable. I don't really know. But uh, she's a woman. So seeing seeing her in the lead is a little bit like more wor- worrisome now. 
that's that's all I wanted to say about it. All right. So for me, I guess the only thing Warren has going for her over Bernie is that she's a woman. Oh, well, then what about the ang- you're forgetting angry man Bernie? He has the unlikable, angry, old white guy thing going, right? And then, and then there's one more thing going for, for her. She didn't previously lose to Hillary Clinton. And then there's, a, and then there's another thing going for her. She, she doesn't seem like she might keel over and die in the next five years. Okay, I'm going to sum up Joey's position. So Bernie is already a loser. He yes. is an old, angry white guy and a socialist. Yes. And probably won't last a full four years in presidency. Yes. So why bother voting for someone that's going to die and, you know, the whoever is vice president is going to take over? Why not go with the the younger uh, socialist, the the woman, be the first woman president of the United States? Right. There you go. Okay. I got you. I, I think yeah. there's definitely some merit to that. So uh, we have another debate coming up. I don't know the actual date, but I'm sure... We'll have to do an analysis afterwards, and she'll be on the stage with Bernie, and we'll see if they go after each other and what happens. That'll be kind of interesting. Exactly. Of course there's merit to it. I said it, right? Do I ever say anything that there's not merit to? I think every time you're on the podcast. If we get into, I guess, some of the trade war stuff, the Fed, I I don't know how this is going to go for Trump. This is where you know he's actually on Twitter calling out the Fed chairman you know, saying that he's potentially an enemy of the, I guess, American people or of the economy and kind of think he should have stayed away from this whole thing. Yeah, the Fed chairman, I don't know if anybody really cares, but the Fed chairman is not, you know, cheapening our currency. He's not lowering rates, uh, potentially making it easier for the stock market to survive with long-term highs, you know, um, during this next upcoming election. Trump's pretty angry about it. He wants him, the Fed to manipulate the currency, help him out a little bit. Um, and he's call, doing weird stuff. I mean, calling him an enemy of the of the country would have been huge news for by any other president. But the thing is, I don't think anybody really cares what he says on Twitter that much. We're all so like, desensitized to anything he might say that's outlandish on Twitter that we j- it just kind of bounces off and you know what I mean? It's just kind of like, yeah, whatever. So does that mean his tweets have kind of lost some of their power, some of their luster? Oh uh, yeah. I mean, I think so. Right. Yeah. Cause he, he tweets so often conveniently though. It's, it's kind of convenient for him because anything that comes off good is, is, is kind of like used by his supporters and, and you get a laugh out of it sometimes. Anything that's negative for him, that you just kind of brush off because he's just always oh, that's Trump constantly mouthing off on Twitter and doesn't you know, it, it it works for him in that regard. Right. I mean, I I think I understand the whole idea with this trade war with China. It, I mean, if it's to try to get the Chinese to kind of come to terms with the whole intellectual you know property theft type thing. Okay, I guess that's a noble cause. Might have been better advice for Trump to wait to do that for his second term rather than during his first term where he could potentially, you know, tank the economy right before his reelection campaign. Uh, But yeah, I mean, if his goal was to try to get China to kind of play fair, well, then, yes, that's a good thing. But 
you know, the way he comes about talking about it to the public. And he's, he's kind of lucky that, you know, most Americans know nothing about economics and think that actually China is paying the tariffs when it's really the consumers who are paying the tariffs. I mean, he's kind of lucky in that fact. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, the the costs are passed on to to us. Uh, we were just at a, uh, me and my mom were just at a store, Lumber Liquidators, where the uh, price of the vinyl have gone up because of the trade war, and they come from China. You know, that's on us paying the tariff cost, is what you're saying. We should send uh, President Trump a, a, a bill. He can help. He can help ship in for that. Exactly. But in the meanwhile, I mean... It is having effect apparently on the markets, the financial markets, the stock markets. Maybe I mean they go down a lot, but then they go back up. But ultimately, Trump does not want the stock market to go down right before his election. He doesn't want the Dow Jones to be taking big hits or the S and P 500 because a lot of the the hype that he's gotten and that he that he credits himself with is booming economy under his watch most of the booming economy that they point to is just the stock prices you know the stock market you know it's not um actual good economic indicators of a good economy that he points to it's mainly how well your uh retirement accounts are doing if you own a bunch of stocks so he doesn't want that to kind of crumble before the next election so he's really urging the federal reserve to not tighten, but to lower interest rates, make cheap money more available for big banks to borrow money, inflate the stock market, inflate all asset bubbles so everything looks like it's humming along. He doesn't want it to crumble. So that's why he's kind of at war with our our Federal Reserve chairman right now. Is that correct? Am I summing that up a little bit without getting too detailed? Yeah, that sounded good. And the other thing is the uh, some of the economic numbers where you know people are talking about earnings per share for these companies and probably what a lot of people are forgetting is that these companies are able to borrow money at a really cheap rate and then mm-hmm. instead of buying like and opening a new factory and opening new businesses they're buying back their stock and that's right. driving the price of the stock up so you're not actually you know, growing the company or having your company, you know, you know, capture more market share and do and become a better, stronger company, you're just cutting down the numbers of shares out there. And so that's why the stock price is going up, which is great for the CEOs and the leadership, because a lot of them get paid based on earnings per share. But it's, it's kind of like a false sense of things doing well. Yeah, it hasn't been it hasn't been investment spending or, or building more capital and and obtaining more and more growth like that. It's been like you said, but it's been that they've been up, upping their share price by bu- share buybacks, dumping money into the market, and that's how they've been growing there. So it, ha- it hasn't been real economic growth and building and, and growing. It's it's interesting that when Trump was campaigning way back, twenty fifteen ish, twenty sixteen, right. And he was calling the the stock market under Obama and the economy a big fat bubble. And then as soon as he got elected and the stock market basically jumped within a few days of him getting elected, you know, he started taking ownership of the market. So that, that was a mistake probably because then he, uh, he, now he owns it, right? So if the market goes up, he's claiming credit. 
But then if the market goes down, he's trying to blame China. He's trying to blame the Fed for that. And I think people are going to see through that. I don't I don't know if they will see through it. I mean, it's lasted. He did take credit for it. And it was pretty it was kind of him. I mean, I don't think the stock market would have exploded up if Hillary Clinton won. You know, I think the stock market and the hedge fund managers, Wall Street, all big banks, all this stuff, they wanted a narrative to, um, you know, have stocks keep going and the narrative quickly became when trump was elected that we're gonna get tax cuts tax cuts to businesses you know stuff like that and it it, it quickly when he got elected turned into a big boom for the stocks and that i guess that is because of him you know indirectly or directly right but but has the economy actually gotten that much better or you know that little that tax cut that he uh instituted or the the sentiment, you know, that people think the economy is doing better because you have a businessman in office. Did that kind of give the the market a false boom when it really shouldn't have? Did it did it make the economy better? I I don't think so. I think a lot of it is superficial. But did it did he make stocks grow? Then yeah, you can probably attribute you know the stock price to trump that isn't meaning that stock high stock prices equals good economy and the the gdp numbers under trump they had about one offshoot that might have been above three percent that looked like he was doing well but i mean the, the majority of them have been under three percent and not much better than what obama's gdp numbers look like and most of the gdp gains that you see if you break into the numbers and, and what what's going on has been major increases in government spending, accounting for a lot of our GDP growth. Right. It's a, that's, that's the thing that, you know, Trump is lucky that people don't pay attention, I guess, right? Voters probably don't pay right. attention to the last minute. But yeah, so you have all this government spending that's adding to the GDP numbers, and we're running these horrible deficits every year. So where, you know, deficits mattered when Trump was running for, for president as a candidate, now all of a sudden deficits don't matter, and if the economy is so good, why is he continuing to running these huge, you know, government spending deficits? Yeah, one of the I think it was I'm not totally sure how accurate I am on this one, but one I, it was something like year over year GDP from from last year to this year was like a 20% increase of government spending fr- from year to year is one of the big reasons why our GDP was at what it was. Which is a huge number, and I was—I could be a little bit wrong, but it was somewhere around like twenty percent increase. I think it was on a military specifically. I don't know if you looked into those or, or, or know that you can verify what I'm saying. And but it was something about gigantic year-to-year spending, especially on military, and that—that that was in the GDP calculations. So I mean, the—it's it, not real solid economic, you know, principles that that are that we're seeing here being, you know, increased it. It's all sort of fake, similar to how it was under Obama, to be honest. Yeah, I think, and it's spending on the military is probably one of the worst things to spend the money on because let's say you make all these bombs and stuff and, it, you know, you spend billions and billions of dollars doing that and then you go and you blow all that crap up. Well, then where did all that money go, right? It's all gone. That's right. No, I like military spending as far as like joining the military and and having a good paying salary there and good housing and and you know all that kind of stuff for for the soldiers whatever that costs you know I'm fine with 
But as far as like $25 billion jet plane that we don't use that took 10 years to build, obviously that's a complete waste. You're talking about the, was it the FX-35? I, I, yeah, you I mean you know what I'm talking about? It's I don't know the exact name, but it's literally like a $25 billion plane that we that we don't even use. Is it? I thought it was like 50 billion. Well, it might be. It's it's a ridiculous amount. It was supposed to be. It, it it's taking like five years or ten years longer than it's supposed to, and it doesn't even have all the features it was promised to have, and we don't even use it. <laughs> yeah, and it was. It might have been like 50 billion. Oh, it's not the FX. Sorry, it's it's. I think it's a Lockheed Martin F-35. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many billions of dollars it is, but supposedly it's no better than like the F-16, right? And the right. military keeps ordering more and more of these. And it's interesting how military spending works. It's like they, they break up the, I guess, the manufacture of a lot of these, I guess, pieces of military equipment amongst like as many different states as they can. Because this way, each state has an interest in keeping military jobs, right? So it's just another way of kind of pr promoting voting for uh, a more of a, a higher military budget. Yeah, I could kind of see that. I wish there was transparency in in what was being spent by the government and broken down so we could kind of see it all and maybe make choices on it. I'm not fully against military spending, like I said, when it comes to good conditions and like a good uh, option for for kids out of high school to maybe go into the military and it, it really takes care of them well. But, um, yeah, not on bomb, gigantic bombs, maybe and $50 billion jets. We don't use. Yeah. Like I said, the numbers that Trump likes to point at for good economies, mainly stock market, which isn't really in, it doesn't really say that the economy is strong just cause you have high stocks and, you know, they were getting high under Obama. But uh, not to say Trump hasn't done uh, some good stuff. I mean, the jobs numbers for our country, they were trending. Obviously, the unemployment rate was trending down and down and down under Trump, I mean, under Obama. But um, when you dig behind the surface a little bit, those were all service sector jobs. You know, we were losing good jobs. It was it was like restaurants, waiters, um, health staff, school, like not doctors, but like in the staff of, of medical offices and health. I don't know exactly what they are, but under Trump, we've been getting better jobs. If you, if you look beneath the surface, you'd be getting more blue collar, more manufacturing. So I, I don't know if you saw recently that the Bureau of Labor Statistics, they actually revised down the job numbers from it was March 2018 to March 2019 by 500,000 jobs. So all those months of you know potentially good job uh, numbers have just been they just took a dump. So now the the average I think uh, goes down to like 142,000 a month, which is pretty bad. Um, I'm not surprised they're lower down because they they usually are always lowered down when the revision comes out. But yeah, that, I mean, that puts it in line with about what Obama was doing, you know, where, where people were criticizing. Well, okay, Joey. So, you know, these jobs numbers aren't looking so good anymore. We have all this cheap borrowing and uh, government deficit spending going on. And I, I'm not too sure these numbers are going to play out for Trump, but we'll just have to kind of wait and see if the economy can hold itself up long enough. Because I, I do agree with you that if the economy tanks or the stock market tanks significantly before the election, 
then that's going to be Trump's demise, and he'll end up losing. If the economy can kind of peter along and uh, or even just grow at a tiny uh, amount, doesn't even have to do anything spectacular, well, then I think he has a pretty good chance of getting reelected. Well, that will do it for today. Thank you all for listening to the Liberty on Fire podcast. Please do me two favors. Number one is to share the show. Remember that we want to continue to advance the message of individual liberty, and sharing and growing the show is one of the best ways to do that. The second favor is to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. A five-star rating is much appreciated. Also, please check out our website, libertyonfire.org. Thank you very much. And until next time, let's keep those fires of liberty burning bright. <music>